Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space. Heather Knight joins me in this episode. She is a columnist with the San Francisco Chronicle. She gets to cover one of the great cities in the world, San Francisco, and she covers San Francisco from a perspective that really resonates. She gets really deep into looking at issues that connect with social determinants of health. She writes about homelessness. She writes about crime. She writes about substance use disorder. And she does the right work. She pulls out those stories and she connects the personalities, the tragedies, the opportunities. She just pulls it all together so brilliantly. She illustrates this incredible city in a way that is just fantastic. And it was a real pleasure to get to speak with her. You'll find in the episode, she references an article that's coming up. Well, since we had the opportunity to have this interview, that article has been released and there are links to it. I don't want to step on it here. You'll listen to it and you'll find the article in the show notes as well. I'll also just mention, you'll find it around the 27 minute, 30 second mark. There'll be a subtle change in volume of the show. That was my fault. My recording equipment went out and Heather was a great sport. We were able to pick up where we left off using a different recording device. So the sound just changes a little bit, but it's still fantastic. We did get to record this one together live. We were in the press room at City Hall, which for me was a total thrill. And Heather was very gracious in inviting me to her office in the press room at City Hall in San Francisco. Before we get to this interview, just want to invite everyone, please take a look at the website for Explore the Space, www.explorethespaceshow.com. You can find me on Twitter at ETS Show. You can email me anytime, mark at explorethespaceshow.com. And you can find Explore the Space on all of your favorite platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you like them, we're there. Please subscribe. Please leave us a rating and a review. Really helps the show out. So now, without further ado, Heather Knight from the San Francisco Chronicle. Heather, thank you so much for coming on Explore the Space. Thanks for having me. So we are in the middle of everything. <laughs> I got to come and join you in the press office at City Hall in yes. San Francisco. San Francisco City Hall is a gorgeous building. The yeah. press room, not quite so much, <laughs> but <laughs> everybody should see the building at Does some point. Does it ever get old that this is where you come to work every day? No, I love it. I yeah. mean, not only is the building stunning, it's just where so many people want to get married and have their big events, but also just the fact that we can easily nab any politicians we want because we're on the same floor as them and we just go so you know, that, ask them whatever we want. That's a great place to start. What is that access like? So when I walked up the main flight of stairs, as you said, right there where I think four or five couples that had just gotten married and yeah. they're getting their pictures taken, but then you walk past all of the offices yeah. that are going to pull the levers to move things in the city of San Francisco. As a person who is trying to access information so that the general public can learn and share and understand what you're seeing, what does that dynamic feel like? It's really exciting, you know, whenever a big press conference happens or there's a big rally outside or some sort of breaking news, we're right here. So it's a lot easier to cover it than if we were in the main newsroom at yeah. Fifth Admission and then have to run over. So it's handy to be right where the action is happening politically. Right. Um, we can pop into the Tuesday meetings at the Board of Supervisors. There's a special little entrance for the press, and um, then we can literally tap the supervisors on the shoulder because they're like a foot <laughs> away right from there. us. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, and the mayor has her press conferences here, and we can often, you know, set up meetings to speak with her. And so it's just um, really good access, I would say. 
when you're trying to write the pieces that you're writing, some of them are some, most if not all are pretty provocative. Uh -huh. And you take a very specific angle to, sh to illustrate what you and I were talking a little bit about earlier ago. Earlier ago is the social determinants of health and what the perspective of social determinants of health for the city of San Francisco are. Mm -hmm. And San Francisco, for all of its wonderful qualities, I grew up right near here, I love this city, it's an incredible place, it's facing some real challenges. Oh, yeah. You're one of the people who is going to step in front of a politician or someone who really can move the needle or does move the needle and, and owns a lot of this responsibility and ask them those questions. Mm -hmm. What does that dynamic feel like? Is it ever difficult to, to get in that or is that something you relish? Um, my favorite part of the job is finding something that City Hall is doing wrong that's negatively affecting regular people who live here uh -huh. and just hammering them over and over <laughs> until they fix it. Yeah. I'm kind of known as a dog with a bone. Like If I find um, an injustice or something that's they're doing incorrectly, they know that I'm not just going to mention it once and then let it go. Yeah. So I, um, I really like pounding on them until they for, fix it. For us, you know, for me as someone who reads what you write, and obviously the San Francisco Chronicle has a gigantic footprint, when you're writing about things like homelessness mm -hmm. and substance use disorder and access to health care, th those are huge drivers of public health mm -hmm. on the individual level, on the population level. Mm -hmm. Where does that desire to push those things specifically for you, where did that come from? Um... My dad was a public school teacher and my mom was a social worker and so I just grew up, you know, with a real consciousness of um, social justice and doing the right thing mm -hmm. in general. And now that I'm raising two little boys in San Francisco yeah. and I live here, I own a home here, thank God we bought during the recession, I could never do that now. Um, and, you know, I ride the muni buses and I walk the streets and I send my kids to public school and um, I really care about how this city treats everyone. and. Um, I want it to be the best city it can be for me and my sons and my friends and everybody else who, who lives here. How do you select your topics? Because you've got, I mean, you, you know, you'll be writing until you're ready to retire and you're not <laughs> going to cover the same ground twice. How do you target something, pick something, and then drive towards a, a conclusion or a solution? Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm known for having a lot of ideas and I could never get to all of them unfortunately because um, this city is just a fount of interesting stories for better or for worse so yeah. I always have an, a story list as long as my arm probably but um, I really try to mix in the serious stuff and the fun stuff yeah. because I think some uh, writers only talk about the uh, negative side of San Francisco mm -hmm. and there sure is a big one but why do we all want to live here there's so much good happening as well so um, it's still a beautiful city there's still so many cultural opportunities just the weird and fun stuff that happens here every day that yeah. is so much more exciting than most places in yeah. the country so I try to do a mix of the good and the bad um, like we were mentioning before we started recording, I randomly rode every muni bus That's your ride. tweet on social media, yeah. right? That's the first thing people That's see. That's my pin tweet. Um, last year with uh, my colleague Peter Hartlaub, we yeah. decided to ride every muni bus in the city one day just to get out in every neighborhood and see if it was possible. We ended at a Giants game at AT&T Park on the end, Judah, and they had I come from behind, bottom of the ninth <laughs> win. So it was like an amazing day. So I want to celebrate the good, but also obviously point out the right. bad. Right, right, right. <laughs> and, and it's good that you give us that balance. So as a reader, I like not knowing what's coming. Yeah. I don't know, I don't know if I'm going to get a groundbreaking story and we're going to talk about one of your big ones from earlier this year or something like that that sounds like 
an incredibly fun way to spend it at tiring. Yeah. For sure. But oh my gosh, what a cool adventure that yeah. must have been. I really like to surprise my readers. Yeah. I yeah. don't want to, some writers will like, well, beat writers have the same, are supposed to write about the same thing um, right. c- consistently. But as a columnist, we can um, pretty much pick what, pick and choose the best yeah. stuff. So yeah. I really like surprising my readers. And I don't want you to know what I'm going to write before I write it. Yeah. Do you get feedback from San Franciscans, from people that live in the Bay Area? Do you have people come and find you and say, you wrote this story about access to housing. You wrote this story about public school teachers not being able to afford homes in this region. Do people reach out to you and share their stories of how what you wrote either impacted them or moved the needle for them? All the time. Um, One of the hardest parts of my jobs is keeping up with um, my notifications on Twitter and my email. It's just, especially after a big story, it can be a little overwhelming. It's really flattering to know that people are reading it and care enough to write to the person who so produced it, but it is hard. I try to write back to everybody who doesn't sound completely crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so you clearly, though, it, it seems like you relish that, and I think that that's great. I've I've put things on Twitter about your stories, and you have replied or hit like or whatever, and it's always it's very cool. That's got to be new for journalism, though, right? I mean, especially with social media, we can we weren't able to access the writers of the famous pieces and the big pieces like right. this now. That. What does that dynamic feel like? Is it is that part of the job? Is it the best part? Is it something that, ugh, I'm obligated to do? Where does it sort of fit in the rhythm of the day? I mostly really like it. Um, I like that my work is being read and making yeah. an impact. Like yeah. you, you don't want to be the tree that falls in the forest and there's nobody there to hear it. <laughs> right. um, so I do appreciate that. Occasionally people can be, of course, mean on Twitter or send you a nasty email. So you have to have a thick skin. But um, overall, the, the feedback is mostly positive. Yeah. The best part about um, being in so much contact, like we didn't used to have our Twitter handles and email addresses at the end of every column, but yeah, now we do. Now so we're, do. we're telling people, this is how you reach mm-hmm. us. We want to hear from you. Um, we want to have more interaction with our readers. And the best part for sure of that is that I get a ton of ideas from readers who are just regular people living in San Francisco who point out And they'll just send something. you a ping? My favorite example um, is last year I had written about car break-ins and how they were up by um, just a huge amount in 2017. Yeah. We had more than 30,000 reported car break-ins in San Francisco, um, by far the highest level of property crime in the nation. So I'd written about that. And a woman who lives on Lombard Street right above the twisty part um, emailed me and said, I'd love for you to come out to my home on Lombard because um, all the tourists park on my block so they can walk down the famous curvy part of Lombard and they have no idea that the car break-ins are a huge problem. So I'd like to show you. And you might get, some journalists might get that and be like, I'm not going to some random lady's house. <laughs> <laughs> like, what is she going to do for me? But Luckily, I responded and brought a photographer, and um, she was having some construction work done out front, so we were standing talking to the construction guys, and they said since they're out front every day, they see um, just tons of car break-ins all the time. They warn tourists. They call 911 when they see it happening. The police don't respond. Um, They had never seen an arrest despite seeing hundreds of car break-ins, and it was really fortuitous because as we're talking the um, bricklayer goes, look at that car right there. That Jetta keeps circling. It has paper plates. It's driven by here a number of times. You just watch. We're going to watch and see what happens. And I was like, okay. (laughs) And the photographer was primed and ready. Sure enough, after circling eight times, um, the car stops right in front of us. Um, The guy breaks, uh, jumps out, breaks the window, grabs a backpack, jumps back in, 
they peel off. Um, our photographer, the amazing Scott Strazante, was there with a great lens, um, oh got the God. guy's face, he put it on the front page of the Chronicle. Oh my God. <laughs> it led to his arrest, he's yeah. still in jail, and just wow. that all started because some woman who lives on yeah. Lombard Street happened to write to me, so <laughs> it was just uh, following that to it, the end uh, can be really useful. It's so good that you have that instinct because when we circle back to, again, what you and I were discussing before we sat down, and one of the reasons I was so excited to talk with you, you write about social determinants of health. Mm -hmm. Exposure to crime mm -hmm. is a huge social determinant of health, mm -hmm. and by doing that work, your, your reporting is moving that lever to the good. And whether you know it or not, that's a huge part of public policy. And obviously UC San Francisco has a whole school on this. Does it, does it resonate for you like that? Is, that? is that part of the mission? Or is it, this is, a, this is an important story and this is someone who's damaging our city and that has to stop. Or is there something, I don't know, is there something even more aspirational than that that we can affect outcomes by by moving these things and changing these things um i didn't come at the car break-ins from the angle at that you sure. as a doctor might see it but how i came at it was um this is my city we yeah. have an 11 billion dollar annual budget <laughs> we're not even posting signs warning tourists we should yeah. be nicer and better than this tourists yeah. have no idea this is happening and we waited at that car until the um the family came back who had rented this vehicle. They were from China. Their oh, wow. passports were gone. Their oh. All their ID. Um, they didn't know. And San Franciscans can be kind of, um, you know, dismissive and we're too cool for school. And like, well, that was their problem. They shouldn't have been so stupid to leave a backpack in a car. But if you think about if you were in China and all of your ID was stolen and you didn't speak the language, like, what would you do? I think we need to be better than that yeah. and care about everybody. Yeah. Well, that's 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 the right work, and it it impacts the way they think about San Francisco and the way they talk about it. It impacts everything rippling out in so many different directions. The other pieces that you've written on, and there's one in particular that I I think was particularly impactful, with that same sort of vision of this has to be better. This is affecting people in a negative way. It affects our city in a negative way. Our city is one of the great cities in the world. It should be better was a, a column that you wrote in February of this year of 2019, looking at billing practices mm -hmm. at the level one trauma center, the largest public hospital in the region, San Francisco mm -hmm. General Hospital. Step us through that evolution because this was a really provocative story when it broke and it led to specific policy change. Right. So I've got to give credit to Vox. They had a reporter who spent a year um, asking people around the country to send um, hospital bills to her so she could analyze them and she noticed this weird thing. Is that Sarah Cliff? Is right. It, yeah. Happening at SF General, um, these just strangely high bills. So she noticed and wrote about the problem initially and um, I grabbed onto it and probably wrote 10 columns, um, you know, from the local perspective. Yeah. And so what was happening was SF General um, was not entering into any um, private insurance contracts and so they would bill people coming in for an emergency, um, they would, quote, as a courtesy, they would say, um, bill their insurance companies, and the insurance companies could give them whatever amount they chose right, to, and then right. they would send the remainder to the patient. So the patients who were paying their monthly fees for insurance, like doing all the right things, were shocked to be getting these huge these staggering bills, and they had people, right? no idea when they went in for care that this was even a thing. Right. Um, and so I found this was 
you know, another great way that Twitter and email and all the ways that you can get in touch with me are handy because patients all over the city kept reaching out and saying, listen to my crazy story wow. from SF General. So um, the most notable one was a man in, uh, I think he lived in the mission pretty close to the hospital, uh, woke up in the middle of the night with just excruciating pain in his side, went to SF General um, because it's the level one trauma center, as you say, like more um, emergencies that were a higher priority than him kept coming in, like gunshot victims. So he kept getting bumped down. So he was just kept waiting for, I want to say maybe two or three days to the point where his appendix was 15 minutes away from bursting, they said. And so since he was kept there for so long, um, the bill totaled to him personally after his insurance company paid a small fraction, $92,000 for an appendectomy. So this was just shocking to him. Like he and his wife didn't know how to pay it. Like their dreams of buying a house were gone. Um, So uh, this was just insane. We found other examples of a couple of other random appendectomy patients. I had a quip in one column, San Francisco, where everything's overpriced, even the appendectomy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, People, like a guy had a very minor motorcycle crash. He actually wasn't hurt, but um, a bystander called 911 and an ambulance came yeah. and insisted on taking him to SF General. He just had bumps and bruises, was sent a $30,000 bill. Right. Um, and so these people were just really frustrated. And so we um, dug into it and found that I didn't, I'm sure all this is very obvious to you and your <laughs> listeners, but I learned things that I had never heard of before, like that hospitals have charge masters, mm-hmm. which is a list of thousands of supplies and services and surgeries yeah. and everything they might offer you with the price. And um, every year in San Francisco, since this is a public hospital run by our Department of Public Health, um, this charge master goes to the mayor and board of supervisors to vote on. And every year, the hospital was asking for a hike of 6 to 10% across the board on everything on their charge master, rather, regardless of what any particular item costs or whether it had actually gone up. And every year, the uh, board of supervisors and mayor approved it unanimously. And so that was the reason why these prices were so high in the first place. And um, it was very ironic because a lot of them had been coming to the rescue saying, I'm going to fix this crazy billing practice at SF General. And then we find out, well, you were the one who were voting for it every year. And they admitted that they didn't know what they were voting on. They didn't understand it. So I pointed out, well, what else that they're approving every year? Uh, I'm not understanding. Can we flip some other rocks? Yeah. It's funny. The one thing about podcasts that's interesting, right? It's audio only. I I don't film these things. The body language doctor, if they're in the room, would have things to say about probably my facial expressions listening to you talk. And um, so because it's it's frustrating and it's shocking. And I think one of the things that you did with this that was admirable is you jumped into the really deep and freezing cold swimming pool of medical billing practices. Yeah. You mentioned that myself and other you know people in healthcare that may listen, understand this stuff. We don't. Um, it's limited, right? It's not like we're taught this stuff in medical school. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of us would make the argument that it's part of the service block, that it's mm-hmm. so obfuscatory. It's mm-hmm. so difficult to understand. It just keeps people from even wanting to explore it. Mm-hmm. That must have felt kind of daunting for you too, right? You, no specific training in it. Right. And yet the challenge has been presented. Was that like, cool, I'm going to, what was that part of it like too? Like, this is really confusing. Yeah. Does it feel like it's intentionally designed to be that way? And in the meantime, people are being hurt. Yeah. What did that feel like to cycle through that learning curve? 
it was hard. That guy was fact checking over and over and yeah. but nobody I was asking really understood either. And so yeah. there was no like expert to go to and say, is this right? Uh-huh. Um, the public health in at least three instances, a public health department gave me wrong information. I couldn't tell if they were. Say that again. The public health department in three instances just gave me totally wrong information. So at first they said this was only affecting 300 patients Uh a year. Then they said, oh, actually it's 1,700 patients a year. Our bad. But that's a lot of people. They were (laughs) saying it didn't affect very many people, but that is a lot of people. 1,700 people. They also, um, there's, I won't get into it because it's super complicated, a very complicated distinction of um, what type of insurance policy in California Uh you can balance bill versus other types you can't. They had that wrong. Um, And we have to remember this is in the background of the level one trauma center, the public facility where people have to go. There's no other option if you get injured or get hurt. And then it's, it's the, it's the quote unquote safety net facility. So that juxtaposition is distasteful. I think it's probably fair to say. If you are in the city for any reason, you know, you live here, you work here, you're a tourist, whatever. And anything bad happens to you, you're shot, you're stabbed, a bus hits you, whatever it is, you're going to be taken there. Right. You don't have a choice. And in some instances, obviously, you're unconscious. It's not like you're going to think, oh, let me check my phone and make sure my insurance policy like covers right. this. And so it was just really unfair and confusing. Yeah. So, yeah, I really... Um, I really like that story because it affected real people and we got real change. So in April, the hospital um, announced big changes to the way it's going to bill from here on out. So um, they will not balance bill people anymore. Um, they'll, they might give you a fee depending on how much you make, but the most, the wealthiest people would ever have to pay for anything is $4,800. So that's obviously way better than a $92,000 appendectomy. They admitted they had been um, confusing. They're going to do better explanations for patients from here on out, um, a better hotline for questions, um, and uh, the missing piece that they haven't announced any changes to that the supervisors swear they're going to get a handle on is this charge master that they're going to call the experts in every year and ask for explanations of why they're being asked to um to approve these so is that something that you're gonna as the person as you said right you like to get the get the bit in your teeth and run with (laughs) it is that something that You've got on the follow-up list on the Google oh, calendar sure. for next year. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> um, the supervisors uh, made a good point, which was that um, just because the bills won't be given directly to patients anymore, if insurance companies are still being asked to pay these huge amounts, it's going to affect rates for people across the board. So mm-hmm. it's not like we should just be approving these willy-nilly. Yeah. Did your columns ripple outside of San Francisco and outside of this sort of you know, micro environment that we live in in the Bay Area, were there other places that sort of said, wait a minute, this sounds familiar. Can you share what you learned with us? Well, um, another big coup was that um, Assemblyman David Chu and State Senator Scott Wiener, both of whom were supervisors in San Francisco and did approve these charge master hikes, but to their credit, they're working on a fix now. So they're now in Sacramento and they have some legislation, which so far has passed every committee, um, which would ban balanced billing on emergency care throughout California. They said that they started hearing about other examples throughout California. There are apparently um, other examples throughout the country as well. San Francisco general appears to be the worst, <laughs> so we always like to be number one. But um, <laughs> they're trying to make fixes throughout the state. The, this dynamic, though, right, where as a member of the public who reads your work and follow the story, 
I'm interviewing you as the reporter. Does that feel like a dynamic change where is Heather Knight now part of the story? Do you feel like? And if so, is that okay? Are you comfortable with that? Um, does it distract? When I reached out, you were warm and engaging, and here we are. But does it feel like that's part of the work? To me, it does. I, I, I'm glad that journalists want to be accessible and speak mm -hmm. about the work that they're doing. But what does that feel like for you when you, the attention on you as a journalist and you know an accessible one on social media at that, what did that attention sort of feel like? Uh, it's definitely not um, something I ever wanted. Um, <laughs> I was a regular reporter for a long time, and then when I got the columnist job, um, I was told, like, you need to have, you know, kind of build your brand and be out mm -hmm. in the public more and mm -hmm. speak more to, you know, uh, public engagements mm -hmm. and be on the radio more and um, TV more. And none of that is, like, what I'm used to or why I wanted this job. <laughs> like, it, it took some some work and some yeah. getting used to because yeah. I was, uh, as a child, extremely shy. And so uh, I, I'm getting better, but it's not like my strong suit. So. What has that development been like? Because <clears throat> for me as the outsider who's, I think I followed you on social media for maybe the last six or seven months, bit theater sold out talking about So I Married an Axe Murder. <laughs> I missed that and you have to do it again. I have many thoughts on So I Married an Axe Murder. But we like, can do a whole other episode. Oh my gosh! Can we we'll save the last five minutes? Um, you're you are putting yourself in the public eye in really fun, creative, clever ways, in parallel with breaking these really important stories. Are you getting more comfortable with that kind of rhythm? Yeah, just by doing it more, yeah. you naturally just getting your rep. Get more used to it, yeah. but um, yeah, it is weird. Like just because my picture's in the paper now and. Uh -huh. Um, I appear more places. I'm more recognizable than I used to be, and yeah. I have people stop me quite regularly in weird places, like public <laughs> bathrooms. <laughs> On my birthday, I went to a spa for a massage, and I um, was in a robe and like no makeup, and my hair was in a bun. And this woman was like, "I love your columns," and I was like, "How did you recognize me?" <laughs> so it is strange, yeah. but I'm getting more used to it. And it, yeah. I try to remind myself it's that they're reading my work. So. That's right. That's right. So speaking of your work, right, we move on from that column and you're still covering that same, that same world, right? We're still looking at homelessness mm -hmm. and substance use disorder and access to healthcare. For you looking at a, at a major metropolitan environment, what are the pressing issues when you, as you said at the beginning of the show so thoughtfully, you're looking for things that impact people because we want to make things better. Mm -hmm. We want people to love this city and to thrive in this city. Yeah. What are the things for you that are kind of a flame that, that need attention right now? Well, I've been writing for years about homelessness. That's yeah. never going to go away. I <clears throat> was really sad yesterday to see the new homeless count numbers come out um, showing a really remarkable 17% rise in homelessness in San Francisco in two years. As long as I've been writing about this, there's a homeless count. It's uh, federally mandated that happens every other January. And as far as I can remember, every year there might be like a 2% increase or a 3% increase, but it's mostly held steady. And to see yesterday's announcement that it was a 17% increase, we now have uh, far more than 8,000 homeless people living on the streets of San Francisco, which is more than there have been in 15 years. If you think about it, that's one out of every hundred San Franciscans doesn't have a place to sleep at night. I mean, that's pretty shocking. And mm -hmm. one of the richest cities in the world where we have an $11 billion annual budget, which is more than most states in this country. Mm -hmm. um, and people 
know it. It's not a secret. People are working hard at City Hall, um, the mayor and the supervisors and the Department of Homelessness and the Department of Public Health do work on this, but just to see that how little effect it's actually making is pretty disheartening. So It's interesting to hear you reflect on the institutes of government are trying that your perception is that they are working hard. And I think most people would probably agree their efforts may not be successful, but it's, it's, let me ask you, is it at least gratifying as someone who wants to push this issue to at least see that there is interest, that people are alert to it, that the right people are in the right rooms to talk about it? Is that the right place to start from your perspective? Yeah, I think we're so behind the curve um, for a long time. It seemed like San Franciscans thought they couldn't complain about um, homelessness and the other misery on the streets without being seen as mean and that you you have to be compassionate and live and let live and we're progressive San Francisco and if somebody wants to sleep in a tent, then that's their prerogative. I think that um, it has shifted and people are realizing it's not humane. Um, What if it was your brother or your mother who was naked in Union Square ranting and raving, is that their right to just live and let live? Or should we actually do something about it to help them? I mean, if that was you and you came out of it and you realized that you'd been doing this and nobody did anything to help you, I just think that's horrible. And so (laughs) uh, I come at it from that perspective. Um, I think Navigation centers are a good thing. Mm -hmm. Um, We definitely need more shelter beds. We obviously need more housing of all income levels, including, of course, affordable housing. Um, There's just so much more we need, but we also can't be as as tolerant of criminal behavior as we have been. I think people mix everything up into one big lump of homelessness, Mm -hmm. which isn't Mm -hmm. accurate or fair. So, you know, people running bicycle chop shops or breaking into cars or shoplifting or dealing drugs is a big one to me. I just think it's crazy, for example, that uh, San Francisco allows drug dealers, most of whom come in on BART, uh, they go straight to the Civic Center Station, go to the Tenderloin or Soma, they um, stand on corners and prey on homeless addicts, they deal heroin, fentanyl, meth, crack, whatever you name it, and they're preying on these homeless people and keeping them addicted to drugs and police may arrest some occasionally. Uh, Last year, police arrested 880 people for drug dealing during the entire year citywide, so that's maybe two or three a day. Um, But uh, the DA charges most of them, the judges let them out as they await trial or put them on probation. They go straight back to the same street corner, Um, nothing happens. So it's just this really, I just find that so infuriating. We wonder why all of these people are shooting up in public. Mm -hmm their lives are being wrecked and yet we don't do anything about the dealers. They, they get trapped in that in that web and it's really difficult to break out of without people sort of stepping forward and saying this has to change. Just like, and we can do it, right? You've demonstrated that there's a willingness to change when the spotlight is shown on these things. Do you feel like your expertise and your insight around this exceeds most people because you've been reporting on it for so long? I mean, I would argue the answer is yes. But it seems like you've been able to build not just the understanding of the numbers, but also the the on the ground minute to minute evolution of these different public health problems mm-hmm. in the city. Yeah, I mean, I've been doing it for so many years. I just had my 20th anniversary at the Chronicle. Yeah. I started when I was five. <laughs> um, I really like to show these problems yeah. through real people. Right. So, um, 
one of my favorite columns last year was writing about a homeless, mentally ill woman named Alice who had been living in a doorway of a Burger King in the Mission for years, and people walked by her every day. Whoa. She used the bathroom in the bushes. Um, she, I talked to her a few times. She didn't know what her last name was. She didn't know what year it was. Um, she was probably about 60 but looked a lot older because she'd been living on the streets for so long and uh, nobody did anything to help her and it was just so frustrating this old lady who was clearly in great need of help we we're just letting her live in a doorway of a Burger King and um, for years and I know I keep saying this one of the richest cities in the country 11 billion dollar annual budget I just think we can do better and luckily, um, Supervisor Hillary Ronan, that's her district, she knew about this woman named Alice, and she has a really kind um, volunteer in her office who lives near there who befriended Alice mm -hmm. and talked to her over and over and over and went, you know, day after day after day and built a relationship and brought her food and blankets, and eventually she convinced Alice to move inside. That's when I learned a really tragic statistic is that it's very common for homeless people who've... Um, built up the um, adrenaline and just toughness to live on the streets once they, once they get inside and that drops, they often die very quickly and Alice wow. died. Wow. Oh my so, gosh. telling stories through real people is yeah. what I really like to do. And, and we know that right storytelling is incredibly sticky and it's incredibly resonant. It takes us beyond a PowerPoint slide or beyond numbers and it, and it helps us resonate. But what I think that you do with your writing and also speaking with you is you set this as something aspirational, right? You set this as something for people with a growth mindset to access Like we can do better. Yeah. We have $11 billion. Yeah. We're in one of the smartest, best educated mm -hmm. regions in the world. We can do this better. And I, I, I wonder about an evolution of your career being able to get into sort of working with the next generations of physicians and students and public health workers because you see stories that, right, we'll see them in textbooks and we'll see them in, in, in online and we'll read your columns. It's different when, it's, mm -hmm. when you're in a room with them. Mm -hmm. Is that something that hopefully one day we might see where, right, the medical students in UC San Francisco or the public health students somewhere else or that we have a curriculum where what you're learning isn't just journalism but it actually becomes something that we can, we can access and learn from because for me as a physician hearing you describe it that way, those rhythms, those connect, all that connective tissue, that, that's important stuff and it, it can't just, it shouldn't just be in a column. It needs to have, and it should have a much bigger imprint. Sure. <laughs> you can make it happen. Yeah. But is that something that you've considered though? Is it I never even yeah. thought of that, but okay. yeah, I'm open. All right. We'll have to work on that. I think that that is something to think about because everyone knows that when you connect a principle with a story, the story is what's going to stick. Right. And then that helps the facts and it helps the process resonate. Yeah. When I've been asked to speak about the California wildfires and disaster management, the things that help the process of being in a hospital during a disaster stick is this is what happened on day two. This is what happened on day four. This was the crazy thing that happened when they lit a backfire in Annadale and we thought we were going to be back. Those sorts of stories connect people to the material, which is what you're doing with your column. But I would argue that having you in a room <laughs> with a bunch of people who, right, we go into medicine with the aspiration of making things better. Yeah. To me, that just makes sense. Yeah, I'm a huge believer in telling these stories through real people. Yeah. I hardly ever have a column 
well, maybe occasionally, but most of my Gosh, columns have know. real people. I just, like, imagine how deadly boring the SF General billing story would have been <laughs> if you didn't have the guy with yeah. the $92,000 appendectomy. Like, yeah. oh, my God, that would have been, like, eye-glazing. Yeah. But uh, finding how these issues are affecting Alice on the Burger's King doorway or yeah. the guy with the $92,000 appendectomy right. um, or the guy who broke into the car on Lombard Street t- finding these real people that are doing these real things is totally. what I'm about. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then if you were to put that framework, right, we've talked about the incredible positive impact that these stories can have when you write them, right, putting things into specific relief. You're doing this work in a really challenging time to be a journalist, mm-hmm. if we're being completely fair. Yeah. What is that tension like of being told, I'm writing about San Francisco General Hospital, I'm writing about the homelessness problem, I'm writing about the way heroin and methamphetamines and fentanyl move in and out of San Francisco BART stations every day, and fake news comes up, mm-hmm. or you're the enemy of the people, or whatever the terms are thrown at you, mm-hmm. aside from being really hurtful and really inaccurate, does that confound the work? I'm the type of person that if I hear that, it just makes me more motivated. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I kind of like big F you. Um, <laughs> I think people um, hearing that every day, at least the people in San Francisco, are um, appreci- more appreciative than ever of journalism. Wow. Okay. I mean, if you look at subscriptions, we're doing well with digital subscriptions at the SF- sfchronicle.com. Please yeah. subscribe. Please subscribe. Um, Support local journalism. <laughs> New York Times, Washington Post are having like a renaissance. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people are realizing um, journalism is more important than ever and imagine um, what San Francisco would be like or God forbid what this country would be like uh, if we didn't have people shining a light on government. Yeah. I mean, I can't even imagine. That would be dystopian in the extreme. And We're already kind of there, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we laugh because it's, it's true. Um, are you allowed to tell us, or can you share with us what you're working on? What's coming up in the rest of 2019? Do you have a teaser trailer? <laughs> I, one should be out a week from Sunday, but these bigger projects kind of move around on, on our calendar. Yeah, yeah. But I would say definitely in the next couple of weeks will be one that you will like. Um, okay. It started when I was uh, doing my one on drug dealing in the Tenderloin uh-huh. last fall. I did a walk along with a police officer. Um, this is when I learned a lot about uh, the way drug dealers are handled or just actually not handled in San Francisco yeah. and how how it keeps people um, addicted and homeless. And um, we I encountered um, a man who was passed out on Larkin Street with needles around him and the police officer thought he might be dead and he shook him to make sure he was alive and he came to and then he was pretty coherent and agreed to be in my column. He told wow. us his name and we talked to him and got some surprisingly good quotes considering he had looked dead just a few minutes before yeah. and a photographer got some really great photos. Did the police officer give him Narcan or did he, was he just a He wasn't overdosing. Okay. He was just messed oh, okay. up. Um, and he was in the column and this is the teaser. The teaser trailer. All right. <laughs> His mother who lives in the East Bay uh-huh. saw the column and his photos and got in touch with me and told me she wanted to share the story of how he wound up that way. Oh my goodness. So, coming soon to That's incredible. <laughs> that it must just give you chills to, to write things like that. Yes. So. That's amazing. Wow. Do you try to map out a pathway of like, when you think about these big issues that you're covering, do you try to set like a one, three, five year 
plan. Oh God, of, no. no! I'm like next Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So tell us about some of the sidelines though, because this is you do this hard work. But you, we we talked a little bit earlier about some of the, the fun, fun and stuff. refreshing stuff that again reminds us why San Francisco is so incredible. You really did do a live podcast purely on the magic of So I Married an Axe <laughs> No one live tweeted it, and I was so upset. Um, what, are, what are those projects like? What are, what are you doing to, to make us also remember that, look, San Francisco is struggling. Yeah. It will get better. The right people are there, and there's $11 billion to mm-hmm. help drive it. Mm-hmm. This is also San Francisco. Yeah. What are, the, what are those things like? Right. So I told you a little bit about how a year ago I rode every Muni bus line every yeah, day with yeah. um, my friend Peter Hartlaub. This started because um, my little boy is obsessed with Muni, uh-huh. and he also has this crazy memory. So he memorized every Muni bus line in the city, their schedules, their stops. Oh, my um, gosh. He can tell you how to get from point A to point B. He likes looking on my phone at Next Bus, Next bus, which is the app that tells you when every bus is coming okay. to every stop. And we won't even be going anywhere, but he'll just be like, Mommy, the one California inbound will be arriving. (laughs) (laughs) He even does the voice. I love it. So um, I tweeted about that, and my colleague Peter Hartlove saw it Uh and was like, he digs around in our archives a lot. Uh He knew that somebody in 1980 had ridden every muni bus line in the city Uh and was like, we should do this. And so... I got ripped in, <laughs> but that was such a fun day that yeah. we spun it off. We called it Total Muni, uh-huh. so we spun that off into um, a program called Total SF, which is okay. to celebrate like the weird and wonderful yeah. side of San Francisco. Yeah. Because if it wasn't worth fighting for, then what's the point That's right. of of all these other things? Is Total SF about? something that people can join, or is this stuff that you guys do to report? Uh, we do events, so yeah. um, just we try to think of weird <laughs> stuff. So after Total Muni. For Halloween, we had people vote on the most SF costume we could make Peter wear. And the choices (laughs) were a Susho Tower, a Leaning Millennium Tower, um, a broken car window, or an Itsit. And people voted for an Itsit. So we made a human-sized Itsit. Oh, remind us all what an Itsit, the venerable San Francisco Itsit. Remind us what an Itsit is. the ice cream cookie dessert. I like the mint ice cream, the oatmeal cookie, and the chocolate coating. That was the one we made. That was my jam. Yeah. And then for um, Christmas, we decorated a cable car in Chronicle front pages. Okay. We started publishing in 1865. We had that one. We had uh, 49ers win the Super Bowl. We had End of World War II. All these great front pages um, covering a cable car. And we've started a... A total SF movie series of showing movies filmed in San Francisco. Yeah. Um, I have my own podcast I'll plug here called San Francisco City Insider, and I Which always I subject um, politicians to a lightning round where I ask them um, silly questions like, Where's your favorite place to get a burrito? I always ask them, What is your favorite movie filmed in San Francisco? And they always freeze up, and it's like they know how to talk about homelessness in depth, but ask them about a burrito or a movie, and they're like, oh. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Do I have to sound like a normal person? <laughs> um, so they usually go, uh, vertigo. It's not but, in the stump speech. <laughs> <laughs> nobody has said the actual best movie in San Francisco, which is So I Married so an Axe Murder. Murder. And it's not so, close. So Peter and I showed that in April at the Balboa oh. Theater, which is just a super fun independent movie house out by the ocean. Yeah. And, um, we uh, anybody who's seen that movie knows that it's about a Scottish family in San Francisco and bagpiping plays a key role in the movie. It does. And um, I hired a bagpiper oh, who played God. up the aisle of the movie theater. Yeah. And-
and I actually got, was able to expense the cost of it back. <laughs> Hearst Corporation funded this, and that oh, was amazing. We ate haggis. Um, it was super fun. So we're just doing fun stuff to get um, our readers to get to know us, get to know each other, yeah. celebrate the fun side of the city. That's so great. So we've talked a lot about the work that you do. People obviously hear this stuff, and it sounds correct and educational and inspiring and super fun and hilarious and great. How do we find all of this good stuff? Yes. Go to sfchronicle.com slash subscribe. You can, I think these days, get five free articles um, a month on the site, but that is not all the columns I write, let alone right. all the other great journalism. So you write in volume. Yeah. We have a ton of great journalism For sure. there. Um, so it's definitely worth a subscription. sfchronicle.com slash subscribe. You can find our podcast at sfchronicle.com slash podcast. Mine is um, San Francisco City Insider. Peter Hartlabs is a more fun cultural one called The Big Event. We also have um, podcasts tailored to the A's and the Giants and the Warriors. And the, our new flagship podcast, Fifth and Mission, is kind of like the daily from the New York Times. It's the big story of the day. So tons of great stuff on the site. Subscribe. Support this work. That's right. That's right. And your Twitter feed because your Twitter feed yes. is just packed with good stuff. At HNightFF. That's awesome. This was really fun. I appreciate you taking the time to speak with a random physician from 60 miles to the north. <laughs> Thanks uh, for coming. Yeah, this was a total blast. Thank you for allowing me to come and join you at City Hall. This was a really cool experience for me great. as well. The work that you're doing is wonderful. It's great stuff. I'm so glad I get to follow you and read and be a subscriber. And the next time you do so, I'm married an axe murder. <laughs> I'm coming and it's awesome. going to be awesome. Good. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. Good to see you. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com, and please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show, and you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.